The following podcast is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen orders at the link below. Or go to cdkeyoffers.com and use code BROKENSILICON for 30% off Windows keys and die shrink for 3% off every other key on the website. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am, as I was, I guess, a month ago, right? Two months. Two, mo- two months ago, joined in person by my co-host. Dan. Yeah, um, we are seeing, uh, hoping, again, I, I, I don't like announcing anything that's happened or going to happen ever because nothing happens on time nothing goes as planned nothing is good nothing's good this year you know but we're hoping to see tom segura with a couple of friends uh later this evening that's why you're in town in nashville he's one of our favorite comedians yeah that's why you're sitting next to me and um and by (laughs) and what i mean when i say nothing yeah let me let me say this what I mean when I say nothing works is half of the people that were going to go to the show with us got COVID and so can't come. But the one of the pers- people who's coming, filling up one of the tickets, uh, we bring up all the time one of our best friends, Brock. He's able to come because p- other plans he had were canceled because people he knew got COVID. So we have people who got COVID and can't come and people that can come because their friends they had plans with originally got COVID. So half of everyone we know has COVID. So we're just not... Fingers crossed that yeah. we do go to a show tonight. We will see, though. Who knows? Maybe we'll get an email or whatever that the show's canceled because COVID is awesome. <laughs> it's certainly fun. Yeah, I, I guess without dwelling on this subject too long, what did I say to Mary-Kate yesterday? I said, it certainly doesn't feel as bad as 2020, but this feels worse than 2021. I mean... At least this part of the aspect of the year so far. June of 2021 was kind of like, you know, it felt like it was might be the end of it. And nope, probably another. (laughs) Probably another year. Probably another year at least. Maybe. Not going to say two. It's probably going to be a year. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, let us move on from that very happy opening subject here. Uh, Raja M. Kadori writes in, taking a break from trying to get Ark out on time, and he says, Hey, Tom, I heard rumors that the RDNA 3 flagship will be between 93.15% and 94.37% greater than the 4090 in terms of model number naming. Can you confirm this? I can confirm your numbers are off. It is 94.38% higher, the 7950X. 7,950 is a 94.38% bigger number than 4090 if you slightly round up, which I think you should on that last decimal unless you're a madman. And if we're getting really into it, I mean, 4090 only has three significant figures, so I would even argue 94.4% is what we should round to, Tom. Exactly, because if if you're not rounding up to eight, then it's like, why'd you even add the other numbers? And then it should have been a 0.4. So no matter how you dice it, Raja, you got this one wrong, too. Uh, 
Hopefully ARC works out, though. Hopefully ARC works out. Uh, I guess on a non-jokey note, though, Dan, would you say, again, if RDNA 3 doubles performance of RDNA 2, or, or even 80% better, you, you agree it's 7950 XT, right? Not 7900? You know, I don't... Well, we'll see. I, I think it might be a bit fun to, to go back to an old name, but I don't know if... Uh, I think they would do that almost as, like, a joke. I, I, because the 70, if they went 970 XT? Yeah, or something like that, because, I don't know, it is a little weird to go back to another card name that they've done within the past 10 years, unless they're trying to do a callback, because 7979... 7970 and 7950 are pretty fondly remembered cards, I think. Yeah. I guess so, again, and the reason I think they would use 950 is if they double performance, I think they're going to charge $2,000 for the top card, or at least 1500 yeah. And if they do, I don't think they're calling it the 7900. Eh, yeah, they, they might go a tier higher at some point. It's really only a matter of time before they try to add another tier like NVIDIA has. Yeah, which I would almost argue NVIDIA shot themselves in the foot calling it the 3090 because they've already charged 1500 God knows they'll try to charge more. So I guess, are they going to launch with a 4090 Ti if they charge 2500 Or are they just going to call it the 4090 and say, yeah, now it's $1,000 more? I really, I to this day, I feel like what is the 3090 should have been called the 3080 Ti. What is the 3080 uh, should have just had 12 gigabytes from the start. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> I think there's a lot of things they should have done from the start. Uh, both of those probably included, and I don't know at this point if they should re uh, revive the Titan or what they're going to do. Maybe they'll bring in a new Titan and call it and say it's $3,000 next time. Again, I... And, and again, Titan means whatever NVIDIA wants it to. I don't feel like they're going to revive the Titan name unless they're 100% sure AMD can't touch them. And I just don't yeah, see that true. happening for like three generations, honestly. Unless something insane happens. And like, yeah. and what we've been told is completely wrong or they pull a rabbit out of a hat. Um, Spamton G. Spamton writes in. He says, is Jensen pushing the Omniverse so hard? So by the time he would retire... He can put himself into it. This would allow him to become the CEO forever with a digital leather jacket, spatulas, and evil green eye. Can be eternally skewing over gamers, but not really wink. I'm sure the last sentence here spammed him, but... There's a lot in that last sentence. Yeah. Yeah. What I would say, though, is I just think... You know what? Here's how I'm going to approach this question. Like... Gut check. What do you think of the Omniverse, Dan? Is this the the metaverse, or or, or the, I don't know much about the Omniverse unless it's just a new. That's true. I was kind of thinking of the metaverse. The Omniverse is they're trying to, the way I've seen it presented, is be able to kind of like the Matrix simulate real life, so they can run scenarios in it and like basically oh. do anything. So that makes some level of sense. I don't think that's something you can live in though. I, right, because half of the stuff you would need to live in is not the same stuff you'd use for, like, physics simulations or something. Yeah, I don't think we're near the uh, computing power to <laughs> to get there yet. No. And nor will we probably ever be, despite what yeah. futures I mean, think. Unless we can build a computer the size of Earth to put all of these simulations in or something. Which, at that point, why not just live on Earth? You built a computer the size of Earth. Yeah. Why not just 
terraform a planet, it might actually be cheaper. <laughs> you know? So, I don't know. I think the Omniverse makes a lot of sense for, like, simulations and stuff. I guess you're right. I was kind of mixing up the Metaverse the way I asked you that question. Dan, what do you think of the Metaverse? I think it sounds like uh, good old Mark Zuckerberg is trying to bring hell to Earth for some reason. <laughs> because he saw Ready Player One, and the guy that wrote Ready Player One read another book that's a dystopian book, and he was like, that dystopia sounds real cool. Yeah, I just don't... I just don't think Metaverse... I think what you're going to see eventually is a world that, frankly, already exists for some people, where they kind of... You have some people that don't go... Let's just say they don't go outside a lot. Uh, it, VR goggles or not, they're t chatting with people online. You don't need VR goggles to use a monitor and chat online and play video games and meet people online, make friends online. People get married online sometimes. <laughs> like, you don't need VR goggles to do that. I think the question is how good does the metaverse need to be for more than just let's say five percent of the population do that because i think i i think what people underestimate is just how many people won't care i mean there's so many people that just don't play video games still and they yeah. don't want to they'd rather read a book and that's okay i feel like that's very different playing video games of course than well you know and there's a term for those people they're called terminally online and that's like not a good term and i don't see the idea of trying to bring the concept of being terminally online to, to everyone. everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is kind of what Mark Zuckerberg does, is bring something that has bad implications to as many people as possible <laughs> and make yeah. money off of it in a way. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think the way I see the metaverse is it's just not going to be real enough for most people, but you're going to expand that, let's say, terminally online population, which I don't even know if that's 1% now, to maybe 10%. It's like, oh, he's the friend that you know that does that. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's kind of how I see that. I, I don't see everyone wanting to be a cartoon giraffe at a concert in the future. Although, a long neck, you would get a good view. You would get a good view in that fake world, yes. All right, let us move on then to corrections and omissions. AC666 writes in and he says, this comes from your discussion with Tim on episode 135. As far as bringing better graphics to lower end laptops in the $400 to $500 market, while useful for students and on-the-go gamers, I actually doubt that you're gonna see Rembrandt fulfilling that role. Rembrandt is clearly intended as a premium product making up the whole H-Series lineup, which will have high demand, whilst the U-Series lineup only has two Rembrandt SKUs, which will likely go for a premium, more expensive and in more expensive thin and lights. Even these 6,600 U's were going to be in cheaper laptops. Would you really expect those, which only have six compute units of RDNA 2, to grossly outperform the existing Vega 8? Um... I would expect them to perform 20% better. <laughs> the Vega, I mean, not Vega. Six, six RDNA to Vega 8, yeah. I, yeah, probably. And I also just want to add, I think AC666 might be completely right that it only goes into premium laptops, but what, what's the point of emphasizing the gaming performance of the 12 compute unit versions if they're not going to go into, you know cheaper thin and lights or whatever that so people actually get a you know entry level of performance at a, in a relatively cheap laptop and not super cheap still probably like 
$800 or something. Right, which what he's touching on is a discussion me and Tim from Hardware Unboxed had recently where basically I was trying, I was almost making a devil's advocate argument, or I don't know if it's devil's advocate, I just feel like I don't hear this opinion enough where I feel like I'm being a contrarian, which is I don't find the integrated graphics that impressive because I was kind of arguing they're going to be in expensive laptops anyways, and how does that change anything from the... Right now, what we've seen at Best Buy, those Asus netbooks that have a 1080p screen, a Ryzen 6 core, and an MX450 for $600. So if this isn't going into those $600 laptops and extending their battery life or going into $500 laptops, like AC666 says they probably won't, and I don't disagree, then my point is I'm not sure Rembrandt really pushes any ball forward besides being a performance increase for premium AMD CPUs and laptops. It's not as much of a, because I think online you see tons of people going, yes, now you can get a truly portable APU. Yeah, but in a laptop that is already going to be competing almost with low-end graphics cards anyway. So uh, premium thin and lights will be better. And I think maybe the bare minimum performance will go up a little bit in some things. But yeah, what AC666 actually brings up, you almost wonder if Alder Lake will raise the minimum performance more so because they're putting 96 execution units and basically all of their models and there yeah. will be $400 laptops with that. Uh, I mean, he, that might be true even if the 96 execution units ends up being a bit weaker than 12 uh, compute units on RDNA 2. But the, the problem... But, but it is 96, like, second-gen that's true. You know, of that arc generation graphics. And right now, Tiger Lake's 96 execution unit model uh, beat, uh, matches the MX350. I see no reason why this wouldn't probably perform 20, 30% better than that, which would put it pretty firmly at MX450 territory. So, so no, mm-hmm. it's not an MX550. It's not Rembrandt, but it is maybe 20% weaker and actually in cheap laptops now. Yeah, I know. Uh, and... At a certain point, if they're not going to start putting, uh, either trying to make uh, APUs that are four lower on laptops that might have more compute units and fewer cores, so like, I don't know, a four or six core CPU with 12 uh, RDNA 2 compute units, I don't ultimately know what the point of increasing the power of these APUs is mm-hmm. because you, it, it's almost like with Intel, like, uh, a while back, like you would almost just ignore the integrated graphics performance because you're always pairing it with a dedicated card, anyways. Which is why Intel had two versions of Tiger Lake that were mm-hmm. somewhat similar die size. You had the eight core with 32 execution units and the quad core with graphics as good as an MX350. That's something I kind of just wish AMD would do. Like, I don't understand. Like, like. Van Gogh would fit that, by the way, if they actually brought that to anything yet. It still isn't even in the Steam Deck. I think launches in February now. But, like, yeah, I, I just can't help but look at Rembrandt and go, actually, why not just give it six uh, RDNA 2 compute units? Because this is always going to have a discrete card. And then make a version of it with 12 ex- with twelve compute units in six cores. Like, why are, why not trun... And maybe even remove some of the PCIe lanes because it's not going to be paired with a graphics card. Like, why not truncate it into two different dies? Because otherwise I just see something where it's like, I guess it's for a premium laptop that doesn't have a dedicated card for some reason? Yeah. I, I, I think the pairing of the stronger GPU segment onto the weaker CPUs, at least the the way we build laptops right now, 
makes more sense, even though if that's not what AMD is doing right now. And, and what's Rembrandt going to be sold for? Because I'm going to mm. be honest, if it removes $100 from the cost of an $800 gaming laptop, you know, those ones that you can sometimes get on sale that might have, like you got, a 1650 and maybe now, hopefully soon, a 3050 will start filling those roles. So let's say it's a 3050 Ti laptop for 800 bucks. Would I pay an extra $100 for the version or more because now it needs DDR5? Would I pay an extra $200 to get Rembrandt Zen 3 Plus with the 3050 and DDR5? No, save $200 and still give me Cezanne. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. And again, I like Rembrandt. I just I just don't feel like enough people are asking harsh questions. And in many ways, I was like, I don't know that that was the most exciting part of AMD CES. But um, AC666 writes in again, says another correction from the Tim episode. As to your line on every mini LED product being about triple the price of an OLED is what I believe you said. What are you comparing this against? From the sounds of it, you're comparing it against mini LED monitors, against uh, your C9 TV, or I don't have a C9 TV anymore, but I did. And he says, as far as TVs go, OLED and mini OLED ones are priced similar. Yeah, but of course I'm comparing it against an LG TV because anyone who buys an OLED monitor for gaming now is a moron. Like, yeah, of course I'm not comparing it against the $4,000 OLED monitors because that's not what they're competing with. Those 60 hertz $4,000 professional monitors are not what mini LED monitors are competing with. They are competing with LG's new 42 inch that will probably be $1,000, cost half the price of the mini LED <laughs> and be better. Yes, I'm absolutely comparing it against that. But he, and then he brings up those BFGD monitors that are in the $3,000 to $4,000 range. I don't count those because, again, you shouldn't buy them. They're worse LG TVs with an Alienware sticker on it. Well, they got the Alienware sticker at least. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I look at those LG and the new LG 42-inch TV as a monitor because that is clearly the choice you go with if you're a gamer looking for an OLED monitor. In fact, it's so much cheaper than the other OLED monitors that I would argue that LG OLED TV is worth getting at a bigger desk if it doesn't fit on your desk. Yeah, I mean, I also just kind of think... If you're looking for a desk monitor, OLED doesn't really seem to be at a point where you can get it yet. And I don't know if that's really what you want. I almost think you should just wait and get a cheaper monitor in the meantime, if you can afford it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I know I'm not doing apples to apples directly in terms of how those products are marketed, AC666, but I am doing the comparison that I think is the realistic one gamers are making for themselves. Blokes writes in, from your discussion with Tim on quantum.oled burn-in, QD OLED will help reduce burn-in relative to W OLED, which is the current status quo of LG TV, so everyone knows, by virtue of making the burn-in, by virtue of making it colorless. Uh, I, no, you put it twice, blokes. You put virtue twice. You just confused me. All right? Bad boy. But anyways, uh, but yeah, he says, by making the burn-in colorless, he goes on, if you combine that with pixel shifting and try to equalize the amount of wear on all sections of the display, you end up with, instead of burn marks, which is what you currently get with LG TVs theoretically, you instead just get a display that gets dimmer over time. So that's not really an omission, but it's a thing I thought I would add to your and Tim's discussion that wasn't covered. And, I, and I'm glad folks did, because that is a big difference for a monitor, because QD OLED is also decently brighter 
Like What's a lot the, brighter um, than WLED. So if you were to tell me it goes from 1,000 nits to 600 nits over five years and there's no chance really of burn-in, Oh, I don't care. I think it's ready for prime time then. Uh, uh, what's the uh, theoretical like max or whatever nits that the QD LED would put, OLED would put out, or have they said anything on that yet? I, I don't remember, but it's not like ten percent better. I think it's like fifty to a hundred percent. So it, it's so, a lot more. Yeah, and if you're not don't not keeping it at max brightness, you could see a situation where over the course of years you really don't even notice any change until mm-hmm. it starts getting to that brightness level that you keep your monitor at yeah and, and that's something me and tim talked about to this day and i mean if you technically counted i guess the playstation vita is the first oled product we owned whether yeah. you include that smartphones i've had with oled displays which most of them have recently or i guess half of them had actually a lot of them still have like a mobile ips display or the tvs i've used or the oled laptop i have none of them have ever had burn-in over the past like well, if you count the Vita, like, what, eight years, but or ten years. Yeah. Let's be honest, though, if you don't include that over the past five years, literally none. And Tim said the same thing. I've ne- he's, Tim goes, I've never seen burn-in on an OLED iPhone. Correct. And the thing is, though, we don't use them for desktop daily drivers. And I assume we would see burn-in, but it is an assumption still. And I, I leave mean, my monitor, I leave my laptop on mining with the screen on for hours sometimes. Uh, not intentionally. Sometimes it just doesn't turn the screen off for whatever reason. I've never seen burning on that laptop, and it's a those JOLED screens are much cheaper than the LG ones. I do have to think though, like if you have an OLED monitor and you're doing a lot of word processing on it, yeah. I could easily see that causing burning at like the top of your screen. Right, I could see it, but I haven't yet. True, it's yeah. still mostly to me feels like this discussion about when people said they won't get an SSD because technically they have only so many read and writes and HDDs are more reliable, which is just in practice completely untrue. Uh, What I'm saying is I do suspect it's a little true if you use it as a daily driver for a monitor, but if quantum.oled doesn't do burn-in, it just slowly gets dimmer and it's already like twice as bright as WOLED, effectively that solved the issue for me then. Yeah, I I, I think what I want to see is it, a monitor could easily last, for me at least, eight years, which it sounds like that would be the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had some decent corrections this episode, but I think it is now time to get into the main stories. So, story number one RTX 3080 12 gigabyte launched without a price. At least in the opinion of Tom at Moore's Laws Dead, me, the 3080 12GB felt real a couple weeks ago, but it didn't feel like it was coming as soon as some were suggesting. After all, where were all the performance leaks before it comes out? Where were the myriad of leaked boxes? There were some, but not a ton of AIB boxes leaked. And why did distributors at Moore's Laws Dead talk to seem to have no indication of when it was launching, supposedly a day before it came out? Well... On the 9th, some heavy digging and long conversations with half a dozen sources led to the truth. The 3080 12GB was certainly real, there was no Founders Edition, there was no MSRP, and reviewers were not being allowed to benchmark it before launch, hence why we weren't seeing any leaked benchmarks. The drivers for it didn't work until a specific date. It was indeed a paper launch on the 10th with no price. And yeah... It is technically, as of this recording, out now. And just like the 2060 12 gigabyte, it has no official price, but it's always over $1,000. Really, it's typically usually over $1,500. And what NVIDIA has just done is provided a 5% boost to the 3080 while doubling its real price, and they can't even admit it. The 3080 10 gigabyte now seems poised to be put somewhat out of production, leaving only the 3080, which is 
12 gigabyte, which is always over $1,000, is the real option for gamers in that performance tier, which is an alarming trend for NVIDIA and PC gamers. Will Lovelace even have MSRP? Because the past two cards they've released have not. I mean, honestly, I, I would almost put it stronger. I, I kind of think the 3080 12 gigabyte is... To some extent, just replacing the entire, what they're, what they're calling it, the 3080 family now. So the 3080 and the 3080 Ti. So they, yeah. in my opinion, almost just made the 3080 Ti a little bit weaker, and now it's more expensive. Yeah. On eBay, I guess they're all like $2,000, though. This is the worst. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, I watched uh, Hardware and Box review of the 3080 uh, 12GB finally, which I didn't watch it until right before this recording, because, I mean, I knew how it was going to perform, and he already put out a video talking about all the problems around reviewing it. You know, he says, I guess you might say it's better, I hate to put it this way, value than the 3080 Ti, because it's now 2000 instead of 3000 or whatever, but it's still horrible, and you know, I've reached out to a couple of contacts since I did that video that first leaked what's going on with this graphics card, and all I'm told is, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy to buy anyways. GA102 isn't supplied that much. Like, they they really do use GA102 a lot for miners, and then they use the lower tier cards for gamers. Like, at the end of the day, it won't feel like it's changed much, but... I, don't, I just kind of disagree with my context because I'm like, I think obviously what they're doing is launching the 3080 12 gigabyte to replace, like you said, both the 3080 and the 3080 Ti. And then they're going to launch a 3090 Ti to replace the 3090. Both of those cards won't have MSRPs. So basically what they're doing is moving the 3080 family up to officially 1500 and the 3090 family officially up to 3000. And there's no alternative now. Yeah. And this is just a thinly veiled attempt to make price performance worse than it was in the past. And I, I just think it's crazy that, that I, I mean, everybody that's talking about it is saying how bad it is, but I, I don't think it can be overstated how bad it is. They are in effect making a weaker card for more money. What, when did the 3080 Ti launch? Like four months ago or something? Uh, God, I don't even remember half a year ago at this so, point. Yeah, but they're releasing a weaker card that I think will sell 100% of the time over its MSRP. Maybe it'll be a little cheaper than the 3080 Ti's street price. Current street price. What does it matter? It's All of these are selling for two grand. and Yeah. What, what I... Before it came out, what I started talking to some of my sources, what I started saying before I finally got the full story was, I just want to know if NVIDIA has the balls to actually make this $1,000 graphics card or if they're going to pretend it's 900 And then when I realized it didn't have the MSRP, I was like, oh, so they can't even admit it costs more. Like, which I, I would say there is a world here where NVIDIA can a little bit have their cake and eat it too. Like, guys, inflation's here. Prices are up. They're not going to ever be back to where they were in, like, 2016. Uh, sorry. I, that's the truth. Maybe what NVIDIA could have done is said, <laughs> it's $1,100, but it's a real 1100 and we're going to mandate the MSRP, and the reason we're willing to do this is now we get a bigger cut of it. But they didn't even do that. Yeah. They're, they're literally having fluctuating, like, grain prices where they just take a certain cut in AIBs, then mark it up more anyways. It it sucks. And 
And and, the, and again, the part that bothers me the most is that they can't even admit they're raising the price. They can't even admit it. And their website says the 3080 starts at 700. No, it doesn't. Like they're just lying. And then they mess with reviewers so there weren't any performance reviews on launch day intentionally. It's just crumminess to the tenth degree. I mean, this is this is a no matter what you think, this is a seller's market. Holy shit. Yeah, and I, I I'm glad reviewers are putting out reviews like hardware unboxed, like just flatly calling it a shameless cash grab. At the end of the day, I don't know how much how many people that will deter from buying it. I don't know who the 3080 12 gigabyte is for. It kind of seems like a person that just buys a strong graphics card that they see because that's the only justif- that's the only way I can see someone buying this. And yeah, it's a shame. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. For 2022, give yourself the gift of an easy-to-make-at-home meal that's healthy, reasonably priced, and above all else, actually tasty so that you actually do eat a healthy meal. I eat it all the time, and it really tastes fantastic. It's so easy to either eat a packet by itself as a lunch, or you can put a couple of eggs in there while it's boiling, and, well, you can then have a hearty meal at the end of the day. Click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off a special bundle just for Moore's Law Z fans that includes spoon, chopsticks, and more. This is a great deal for you, and it really does help the channel tremendously. Seriously, I eat it. It's good. They've been supporting Moore's Laws Dead for months, and you buying their products supports me. And you know what? You really should try to if you want a healthy and tasty snack to start out this year and maybe get rid of some of that holiday weight. Buy Vite Ramen today. Well, speaking of graphics cards that you won't be able to buy, let's get to story number two. GeForce RTX 3090 Ti production halted, and I just did a tiny write-up here quoting uh, from the original story on Tweaktown. Anthony Gareffa recently reported that NVIDIA is telling AIB partners to pause production, and supposedly no reason was given. From Moore's Law's dead side, though, this can be reported, nobody we asked cared. Most distributors did not expect to even get 3090 Ti's for months anyways, and seeing production halted meant literally nothing to them, which Moore's Law has repeatedly reported for a while, this will be a paper launch anyways, which, which is the truth. You know, so I don't know what to make of this production halt. It seems like this is likely legit. The funniest thing I have is just reaching out to a bunch of people and going, who cares? Like literally distributors and AIBs don't care. Like they weren't planning to make any of these. This card really is so they can have a card at the top of the charts, which I'm looking at a the hardware unbox review for the 3080-12 gigabyte. Again, it's an almost 3080 Ti, and then they're going to boost the 3090 by like 7% in performance so that there's truly a 12% performance difference between the 3080 and 3090 Ti, and that's their new segmentation. I think that's and, clearly what they're doing is phasing those out. But the 3090 Ti, I don't even know if you'll be able to buy it. If they've halted production before they've even started selling them or really done anything more than vaguely unveiling it, yeah, this card might as well not exist. And to me, it just looks like they want to have a bigger number on a piece of paper, even if it's not... A much bigger. (laughs) Yeah, even and not releasing anywhere. Like, I, I don't get the point of why they talked about it. Maybe at CES they just thought they wanted to have 
a show, quote unquote, showstopper or whatever, because. But then why? And this is something a contact said to me after CES. He goes, yeah, but why didn't they show a benchmark? Because maybe you see a benchmark. Well, they probably wouldn't have the 3090 on their benchmark. They would probably have. Who knows? Maybe they would even do like a 3070 Ti. Yeah. Just eliminate everything below. Because what what are you going to see? So like the you're looking at a chart right now. Yeah, I'm looking at a cyberpunk benchmark. So the 3090 gets five more frames a second than the 3080. What? Who cares? At a certain point, like you're spending so much more. Yeah, and that's one game. We have another game where the 6900 XT ties the 3090. I, and I think this, yeah, which is Far Cry 6. I think this is kind of gets a little bit to the core of why they don't show a chart, because there's no way to make it look good. Like, if you compare it to the 3090, it'll be 7% better. If you compare it to the 3080 Ti, it'll be 8%, 9% better. If you compare it to the 6900 XT, on it depends on some it might be four percent better yeah yeah and it'll probably be like five to ten percent better than a 6900 xt and that's not even the strongest one amd is supplying 6900 xtx liquid cools to oems and that one is 10 percent stronger than the 6900 xt so basically all nvidia can do is either show a chart where they're like we beat amd's strongest card by two percent or we beat our previous card by five percent there's nothing to show that looks good and it's such a weird thing at a certain point because I know this isn't a new generation of cards, but it is a year later. This this is just the most Over drawn out. This is the most drawn out line of cards I think I've ever seen. Like but both si- sides, they've just been releasing cards now for what fourteen months almost, mm-hmm. and they're all the same line. But the fact of the matter is, what. NVIDIA now has to show is in one year they can increase performance by 5%. Like, it's it's odd. Yeah, I think I saw a discussion in the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, which you get access to if you support us on Patreon. And a point someone brought up was it just seems clear that, especially since Pascal and arguably during Fermi as well, that NVIDIA doesn't care about their segmentation more so than launching anything next to every AMD launch just to steal some of the headlines. Like literally, if you think of the 1070 Ti, which really wasn't necessary or like, I mean, what, or like all these bizarre Ampere segmentations, all of them are there to steal headlines next to AMD launches and they don't care. They don't care what their segmentation is. They they just want that. They clearly don't because there's how how many cards are there in this lineup now? We're pushing like twenty at this point. I feel like, or yeah, it's crazy. Well, and I guess the final thing I'll say about this is I did hear some whispers, and I don't remember if the original story said this, uh, but I have heard other people say too that a lot of it is like just the immense power usage. I mean, this is a straight up four fifty watt card that uses a new memory capacity now it's it should be easier to cool because you don't have to cool both sides of the pcb's memory anymore but it's still causing problems for aibs that have to build completely new coolers you know so yes theoretically this should be maybe not easier shall we say simpler to design a cooler for but it's still a 450 watt card and a lot of aibs are having problems not having them break well i can Imagine at a certain point, like the 3090, some models had issues with parts breaking. I Pushing another, how much more 
percentage, pushing like what, 75 more watts? I'm sure we'll do that. Yeah. Um, Ian writes in, hi, Tom and Dan. Do you have any speculation or insight as to why NVIDIA GPUs typically struggle when it comes to efficiency or other than no difference? Is it some sort of fundamental flaw in their approach to the design of their architecture? Or have they simply stopped caring at this point? Uh, it hasn't always been an issue for NVIDIA. Turing and Pascal were very efficient, relatively speaking. But a lot of it's the node. But at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, but you designed it for that node. So this is your fault if it isn't efficient. Uh, I would argue that, again, Samsung's node isn't very good at gigantic die sizes. Samsung usually makes smartphone SOCs and GPUs that are smaller than 200 millimeters squared. If you like, look at the previous ones, they did mm -hmm. make some of for previous gens. I mean, they made uh, the 1050 Ti, the 1030. I believe those were all on Samsung's node. At least the 1050 Ti I know was. Um, so... You know, I just think that it's very clear the bigger the die gets, the least, the less efficient it is. And I think it's obvious that there's massive gulfs in efficiency uh, in this lineup. But there's also the fact that they're clearly just pushing certain dies to get to a level of performance that they deem acceptable against AMD right now. Which AMD is doing the same with the 6500 XT, which we'll get to in a second. And, well, really all of them, the 6700 yeah. XT, all of these were pushed kind of to pricing tiers, half a tier higher than they were meant to be in. But I feel like AMD's architecture more eloquently does that. And that's because it is on TSMC, which has always been known to scale much more linearly with clock speeds and efficiency, which... I remember that when I got the Radeon 7 and I tested it to the Vega 64 and I thought it was very interesting that for the first time in a few gens, because AMD had been using Global Foundries for their graphics card for a couple of gens then, you know, Polaris and Vega 64, I thought it was interesting that when I overclocked the Radeon 7, I literally found like a plus, I don't know what it was, like plus 6 millivolts per 10 megahertz, I, plus 50 megahertz I added or something, mm -hmm. linearly. And, and then there was a curve. And with Global Foundries, it was, no, <laughs> from the start, it's exponentially more voltage the higher you push the clocks, right? Yeah. And then you hit a wall. With the Radeon 7, it was the first 7 nanometer card from TSMC I tested. It was like, it was a very linear, and then you hit a wall. There wasn't the exponential, then wall. It was linear, then wall. And I was like, oh, TSMC's nodes tend to scale with voltage much more linearly, even outside of their comfort range, than... Other nodes do, shall we say. It's pretty clearly. Mm -hmm. um, but let us move on. Okay, so QH Freddy writes him, Are you surprised that NVIDIA moved GA103 or at least a 102 die to laptop for the 3080 Ti laptop edition? And AMD hasn't made any moves with Navi 21 in the same market? Uh, oh, I accidentally either this wrong. My answer is no. I, I am not surprised. Um, like, the reason... GA103 is, which I do believe the 3080 laptop is, 3080 Ti laptop uses, and I believe A4500 uses, although I should probably double check that because I don't know if that's been verified yet. Um, like, that would be a die size if you think about it. So the, the, the 3080 laptop is about a 400 millimeter squared die because it's basically a 3070 Ti. And... I believe a GA103 would be pretty close to the die size, at least lower than 500 millimeters squared, I think, or around there, to what the 2080 die size was, which they put the 2080 die, TU-104, in laptops. Mm -hmm. So, and you have to remember that GA104 is actually a little smaller than TU-104. At a certain point, you're not fitting it in the laptop. 
you know? And I feel like they're pushing the edges of that. And at the same time, Navi uh, 21 is probably a little too big. That, it's uh, over 500 millimeters squared. I'm not saying they couldn't. They put Vega 64 in there, which I believe is almost 500 millimeters squared. So that's also smaller, though. Uh, you know, which would, well, yeah, so that might <laughs> that might lead to my theory that you the cutoff's about 500 or a little lower than that. No, that's true. And I do also think to an extent AMD is still a smaller comp- company than NVIDIA. They have to focus on one market at a time. And I think... There's, they already have a, a good entry point into the desktop market. Like there is a lot of people that on desktop that like AMD. Mm-hmm. And I think people buying laptops, there's fewer of them. So emphasizing getting into the desktop market more makes a lot more sense for AMD right now. Yeah, and, and I would go as far as to say that I, 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 like really there's so many people that want that NVIDIA sticker in a high-end laptop that I almost wonder if AMD shouldn't have even launched Navi 22. Like, what's the point? Your most efficient die seems to be Navi 23, so why not just pump out that die only for laptop and then focus on Navi 22 heavily for desktop? A level of performance I think desktop gamers actually want. I think mm. you and me agree. The 3070, the 6700 XT, that's right about where you're at this excellent sweet spot, able to play every, any game at some resolution you want you know, without having any issues. Ah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, then, let us get to story number three. 6500 XT details emerged before launch, an MX killer pushed to be a 5500 XT successor. And I do have a write-up here. Since the 6500 XT was revealed at CES, there's been non-stop conjecture about what this card is and how it will perform, and half of it was incorrect, which is especially odd in my opinion, considering AMD has the info there. (laughs) Anyways though, for starters, it has a die size of around 107 millimeters squared, according to Charlie at Semi-Accurate, not almost 150 millimeters squared, or I think it was like 141 is what the estimation was. And this puts it at less than half the die size of Navi 23, which is used for the 6600 XT. This clearly was designed as an MX class of graphics card based on its die size. But not only because of that, it also only has two display outs and four Gen 4 lanes of PCIe. Clearly, this is the I.O. you would need for a low-end laptop GPU. And although it was meant to originally be almost exclusively just for 25 to 50 watt GPUs for laptops, its clocks have been pushed incredibly hard on 6 nanometers. So despite all of this and its downsides, this is not an RX 480 like a lot of memes on Reddit are suggesting. It's not even an RX 580. It is likely closer to an RX 590 in many gaming scenarios. Well, unless you have PCIe 3.0, of course. So I suppose that's kind of the bad news. It is indeed an overclocked laptop card and one that should still outbuy beat the 5500 XT at its intended 1080p and lower resolutions. Although I guess the only good news we can say is that Moore's Law said can report that though the launch will have staggered availability due to shipping issues, some models should be close to MSRP and they are likely shipping double the 6600 XT's volume within about the first month or two of sales. So this should be a launch comparable to two 6600 XT launches, just not all on the same day. Uh, furthermore, though, the unfortunate thing is this, and it has been covered in a recent Moore's Law video, AMD is actually making very little money on these graphics cards, at least as of current shipping and components pricing. 
The biggest bad news about the 6500 XT isn't its lopsided performance or odd feature set. It's that it's really actually costing $200 for a reason. Inflation is just here to stay. So I'm not sure where to go with this. I mean, you know, I guess I'll open up by saying one clarification. It was actually something I cut out of my recent 6500 XT launch availability video uh, just because it was too long, I thought, and it flowed better if I just went directly from one subject to another that happens often, which is, you know, there's going to be dumb AIB models with triple fans. I think Gigabyte's making one, and yeah, they'll probably try to sell it for 400. And yeah, a lot of the big double fan versions of this 100 millimeter square graphics card will probably be $300. So I want to be clear that think of this like the MSRP situation, except maybe slightly better than the of the 6600 XT. That is to say, like a third of them will be around MSRP, half of them will be 30% more, and some of them will be stupid triple fan versions of a card that uses 100 watts. But that's still a far cry from the other launches. I mean, there's a link in the description. The 3050 is already being listed over $400. So, again, it's really not competing with the 3050. No, I mean, it's almost competing with nothing at this point if the 3050 is going to be selling for that much. Unless MSRP doesn't hold as well as we're hoping and this goes up to, like, 250 or something. Which it's going to go up to 300. I mean, there's no way around it. Yeah, but the I, 6600 XT sells for 500, and the 3050 will sell for probably 500. So I guess sure, pay twice as much for a 3050 if you want to for that extra 20% performance. Yeah, I, I, and I, I think it's important to emphasize that like I, I don't think you can say the 6500 XT is an ideal launch. Like I don't think it's going to be that. <laughs> No. It's not going to be that much stronger than the 5500 XT, and it's... If at all, it's it's pretty much the same performance. And it's more expensive than the uh, 5500 XT when it launched, so it's not mm, great. I guess the 4GB model is more expensive than the 4GB model, yes. Yeah, so it's not great, but it's kind of the best option on the market right now for the low end, because what's the 5500 XT selling for right now? I'm sure... Some stupid inflated price for no reason. <laughs> yeah, and this is expected to be bad at mining. So not only will it have oh, double yeah. the shipments of the 6600 XT, although, again, not necessarily on launch day. I do need to keep saying that, that I have a lot of reports, like I said in the video, of delayed shipping. Really expected to be more of like a launch three weeks. Like, you have to understand that with double the volume and being bad at mining, this really should be easier to get. And... It is not making money. <laughs> so if and, and I don't know what to say anymore here because I feel like I'm a lot of people actually. I will say that video. I didn't know what to expect from it. I expected middling performance, which is doing maybe slightly better than I expected it to. Mm -hmm. um, and I expected it to get a higher downvote ratio than usual. Not that you guys would know what that is because YouTube doesn't let you see anymore. But it turns out it's getting above average upvotes, which, you know, even my like worst videos get above 90% usually yeah. or 80%. But actually, it's very rare they're below 95%. But this got more, over 97% upvote, which I did not expect because I always get accused of defending these companies. And it's like, I'm not defending these companies. I'm telling you the truth. You can still be mad, but it's not, AMD's not making much money on these. Now that might get better. I expect shipping costs to go way down in about three months. I expect shortages to be reduced substantially, but I think there's no way around it. This is unlikely to ever cost as little as the 5500 XT did or 580 ever did because 
inflation's here. And I'm not defending AMD by telling you the truth. And the amount of people, and so in other words, what I'm trying to get to is, there were a lot of people in the comments that appreciated the video and loved it. And they're like, I get it now, I guess. Most people, more than I expected, which I'm glad I took my time with this video, because I think a lot of people just have a tendency to just yell at everyone if they disagree, when it's like, no, maybe I just take a step back and I try to explain slowly, right? But there is still a lot of people that go, I've seen, you know, it's unavoidable. There are some comments that are just like, no matter how you dice it, this is a horrible card. And it's like, okay, they're not making profits. So go buy $400, $1,650. Like, okay, it's horrible. Then everything else is double horrible. Like, are we adults here? Like, do you you hear yourself? I think the thing is, and I I think, believe you told me you covered this in the video to an extent, is if this is already a low profit margin card, I can understand why there would be delays in shipping with this card specifically because are you going to pay, what, $20,000 for a shipping crate container with 6,500 XTs or 6,500 XT components when it's already a card that makes nothing? And most of them are doing air shipping right now, by the way. Oh, okay. So more, even more expensive then. And that honestly makes sense to why some AIBs then would try to sell cards with stupid triple fan coolers to me because... It's in the wrap-up, but uh, Kyle Nenny's, I believe, uh, article about uh, bomb kits. Oh, not like, Kyle Nenny. You're confusing Kyle from Hard OCP with Daniel Nenny. Oh. <laughs> Kyle, yeah, Kyle wrote an article um, about how, what MSRP really is. Continue. Yeah. Uh, and if they're selling these bomb kits to them for, I assume, at a higher price than they are to get extract whatever profits they can um at a certain and amd's actually taking a smaller cut than usual on these cards yeah so, but amd still needs to make some money hopefully or else th- what's the point uh, of launching some this of card? i don't think they are unless it's for just for market penetration reasons which it is there's that but um i could see like these aibs are like well we're making no money off these because these bomb kits are expensive let's just attach this stupid three fan cooler and say Oh, we can boost it to 2.9 gigahertz or something and sell it for $300. Yeah, but if shipping's the issue, I feel like there's a happy medium here. You put a decent cooler on it and you sell it for up to 300. Putting a triple fan on it makes the box bigger and shipping's the issue. (laughs) That's true. I mean, if you can sell 50% more graphics cards because you have one less fan or whatever. But that's the thing too, is they still, a lot of AIBs still expect these to sell out pretty quickly, which it's interesting. The sources I talk to don't all agree on how quickly these will sell out. It's very interesting to me. Some of them think it could be on shelves for weeks where you'll see MSRP cards show up every now and then. I'm just not willing to double down on that. I'm just willing to say, I think a lot of them will be near MSRP from time to time over the first month of sales. And it's a wild card how well this will sell because I just don't know how many people care about this level of performance anymore. At a certain point, I just feel like these reviews, I was thinking of this last night. If you give every card that launches in one year a bad review, there is no review. or Because these are competing with each other. It's all relative. If you give every card in one year a bad review, you what's the review? Like We know what you're going to say. It yeah. feels like you're reviewing things as if you lived five years ago. And... Yeah, I think the problem is where it's you have to evaluate what you're purchasing within the context of the market it's currently in. And I think there is a point where you can say that the market is just bad and 
I think maybe it needs to be mentioned in every review, but I don't know how much you can hold that against the card. It's like if you go into a grocery store and chicken is, I don't know, $7 per pound. Now, I, I know it's not at that yet. Sometimes it's when I go there. But, and then you say, well, I could buy a pound of steak for uh, $6 seven years ago. And it's like, yeah, that's not the world we live in anymore, though. Yeah. This is how much chicken costs. So are you not going to buy food? Or Which, I, I, which, I which look, people listening here might say yes, and that's fine. Right, that's fine. You don't want a part of this market anymore. And trust me, if the PS5 and the Series X were spec'd out now, they would be $600 consoles. There is yeah. no way around it that the that the consoles, they lucked out for the consumer and how they were priced. They did not luck out for the companies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. and yeah, there's a whole discussion I've been having about like how the Series X's RAM was uh, allocated and like actually it could have been a 20 gigabyte console that's maybe a discussion for if someone brings that up in a reader mail uh learn some new things about how the series x works but at the same time you know some of the cuts they made to the series x i bet microsoft's pretty happy they didn't go with more ram right now looking at ram prices so you know it's the world we're living in and if you want to get a console instead of these graphics cards that's probably a good decision but just keep in mind that if you have a 970 you can sell it for more than a 6500 xt yeah, and also, we brought this up a couple times now. It's not, I keep caveating, it's not quite there yet, but it kind of is at this point. Or buy a laptop because it's, if you're build, doing a build fresh, it's getting a laptop is probably similar price performance. I mean, you're not going to get 3090 level performance on a laptop, but I don't want to spend $5,000 on a laptop either, which is what a 3090 build I think would end up costing probably. Yeah, and we just had a friend who paid $900. I think it may have been open box or some special deal. But, you know, he got a laptop with a 3060, uh, and it's not a Max-Q one. It's actually clocked decently fast. And an 8-core, I believe, 5900 mm -hmm. uh, HS, I want to say, or something like that. And so he's got the equivalent, really, of like a 5800X. And maybe not a 3060 per se, but if you undervolted it, it has actually more CUDA cores than the desktop version, even if it only has six gigabytes of RAM. So you paid, you know, $900 for that, let's say. Okay, well, if you buy that laptop and then sell your old graphics card for $300 and then sell off all your old components for up to $600 total or more than that, think about you just, <laughs> you just doubled performance, got a new monitor for 200 bucks and, 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 and so, yeah, it's like a lot of people go, I'm not taking part in this market. It's like, that's fine. And you have alternatives. You have laptops that are unfortunately now for price performance competitive with desktops. You have consoles that are laughably better price performance than a most desktops being spec'd up right now. But those are your options. And to get mad at a graphics card losing money at half of its sales, that graphics card isn't the problem. You just seem to have not accepted inflation exists. In, well, yeah, it, it, real world inflation. I mean, hopefully at a certain point, mm. we'll start to see a correction back to where we were a little bit. I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where we were in 2019, but shipping prices will eventually go down, I would assume. Right. And so I guess the final things that I want to cover on the 6500 XT... After, again, just restating, I want to be clear. I don't think they're all going to be at MSRP, and I think you're going to see plenty of $300 models. Yeah. But, again, if you can sell your 
eight-year-old or whatever, 970 for 300, do that and get this before it breaks. Or don't. Again, I don't care what you do, but that was, <laughs> that's what I would do if I had a brain. Um, I would just say that I've seen some people say, yeah, but, well, uh, let me back up. So the one thing that I do worry about is something that Steve at Hardware Unboxed is bringing up a lot right now, which is what performance does it lose at PCIe 3.0? Because a lot oh, of yeah. low-end systems are going to use that. And I agree that's a major concern, but unless it loses half its performance, I still see it as better priced than a four hundred dollar sixteen fifty or thirty fifty. Like yeah. it is, you know, it's still, it's okay. So it loses thirty percent performance, then it's around a four eighty, I guess, instead of around a four a five ninety, and that sucks. But that's still a better option than a three hundred dollar ten fifty Ti. I mean, yeah, everything is better than a three hundred dollar ten fifty Ti. Right, and, and so <laughs> I would say that. But but then I, I I would I've seen some people say, okay, but if it has this PCIe Express issue, why did they have to strip down all the stuff to make the die so small? Because people would say, well, they should just make sixty six hundred XTs because it doesn't have these issues, right? But the sixty six hundred XT has a die size over twice as big, so they can ship almost two point five times the cards which volume is the issue right now with satiating demand. That's why they're making this card. And it they didn't decide to make this card a month ago like and design it from the ground up. This was a die they had designed. Designing dies, from what I've been reading or, and talking to some people, each die now is like 20 to $100 million in hard design costs. Like this is something where you sit down, you know, well, the an overall architecture is at least like 100 million and that takes years to get done. And then each hard design is probably 10, 20 million. So like AMD is not gonna spend another 20, 30 million making a new die, which by the way, would delay its release by about half a year or more probably a year really like yeah probably about at least eight months they have this die designed they could launch it or not it's this or nothing is what i'm saying it's not like amd yeah. said oh we want to make something less than half the size of a 6600 xt and so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna just strip out all these things people want they're like nope it's this or nothing yeah and you know there's gonna be a few things in it that aren't great like i think it's going to be really bad at streaming using uh relive which isn't great oh yeah but <laughs> that's that that i guess that's your option right now if you need to get a new graphics card for cheap um and it's not great but i th i think it's your best option right it, it's almost like the 6500 xt is this situation where it's like everything we said about the 6600 xt except more mm -hmm. it's like more volume than that card more availability also, more so, it only exists because this market sucks. It's the yeah. only reason this card exists, guys. And its alternative is nothing. The funny thing is, is the 6600 XT actually kind of does have alternatives. This doesn't even have an alternative. There is no alternative. It is yeah. eight-year-old 970s. Okay, go buy that, <laughs> I guess. Good for you. I, that's But that's a horrible choice. You know, yeah. so I don't know. It, it is what it is. I don't think it's great. I think what you're going to see is a card that's a little weaker than a 590 on average. Again, so that means like around a 5500 XT. And if you have old PCIe, it looks pretty bad. But unless I just want to say this, unless reviewers compare this to the real street price of cards, 
I, I, I'm just, this is what's annoying me so much about it, is it's like, I can just, AMD's not even making money on these cards, and they're going to get punished for being the only one even trying to make something right now. And it's just, this card's going to get a lot of hate for being the wake-up call that this market has permanently changed. Sub $200 cards are basically dead, guys, because they can't make them for a profit. Yeah. Sorry. You know, <laughs> NVIDIA's decision is to not even make them anymore, you know, or apparently to just disable 3060s into 3050s. Thanks. Uh, Carbon Cry writes him, in a recent discourse around the GPU shortage and over demand, I've often heard people say maybe AMD, Intel and NVIDIA will learn from the current situation and prevent it from repeating. And frankly, I strongly disagree this is something that will happen. The last lesson the GPU industry has learned from the big mining booms was not to drastically increase production to meet transitory demand. Both AMD and NVIDIA lost money by eventually overproducing, which is absolutely true. AMD lost so much money overproducing 290Xs in 2014, and NVIDIA lost a they made money that year, of course, but they lost a lot of money overproducing Pascal and then trying to explain to investors a Fortnite boom. But anyways, the current demand glut was very hard to predict in time, and when it became predictable, its length became an important unknown, preventing any overly rapid supply expansion. So the only way I can think of that that can be prevented in a recurrence of the current situation is either that the industry gets significantly better at predicting these waves of demand, which I fear would require more data, so more events like this, or a way for the industry to be able to dissipate excess stock cheaply for the companies, thus lowering the cost of overproduction. Without either, the GPU shortages will just happen every few years forever. I think he's probably right. Um, if you can't perfectly predict what demand will be, the prudent thing is to underpredict demand, especially for an expensive product like this, because sure, you're leaving some money on the table from what you could potentially have made, but at the end of the day, it, that's uh, underproducing a little bit is better than overproducing. It, oh, it's, it's a lot less risky. Yeah. And. It is worth pointing out, like I think, who did I say this to recently? I, I think I said it to, I don't know if it was on the phone with a source or was in a recent broken silicon or something, I don't remember. But I remember talking about how, I brought up the point, what I think needs to happen to these companies need to stop pretending they can predict anything in the economics. Because can we just stop pretending you know what's gonna happen? Like when the pandemic started, all of these companies reduced production of the things we actually needed more of, computers and cars, because now people were flying less. And so what that tells me is these companies cannot predict. And I'm not saying I would, but mm -hmm. I, I kind of is what I'm getting at. And then when there was a mining boom, they predicted more cards and they overproduced way too many. So what I'm forced to conclude is kind of what Carbon Cry said. I think the lesson they're going to learn is we can't predict these things. Yeah, and like he said, how can you predict something without da uh, data points? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, there's some things that ha that have huge trends over time. Like, uh, it's pretty easy to predict that ice cream will peak in sales during the summer because it does that every year. Uh, that's easy to do. Stuff like this that have, like, multi-year arcs to their production cycles and their peaks and valleys it's just takes more years to be able to accurately predict especially when there's something like a 
quote-unquote once-in-a-lifetime event that happens, and I put that in quotes because it seems like eight have happened since I've turned 16, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean... Well, and, and, and I put this note down under a Carbon Christ question, which is, yeah, it's like, honestly, silicon is basically a commodity like food now. It's risky to overproduce, just like food. How much food do you need? Enough. And if you don't have enough, it's a problem. But the second you make too much, it rots and you lose money. That's what yeah. silicon is now. It's a food-like commodity. And so as long as we're literally not starving to death from it, they are incentivized to underproduce a little by, like, every way you could incentivize things. I, I really don't know what the solution to it can be. Like he said, a way to quickly dissipate stock, it, I guess, would help because I guess they what don't need to spend money storing them which is another thing you have to consider if there's warehouses of things not being sold that's even more money being wasted i don't know what release valve there is for that even i mean or right so i would say there used to be easier release valves like and they had some of them and they've deployed them and they didn't really help like one of them was when they did a final run of polaris you know, a lot of those, some contacts told me this, like a lot of those recent RX 580s that just launched for like $400, they're not making them at Global Foundries. There were probably about half a million they overproduced on purpose and just put the dyes in a warehouse somewhere. Mm -hmm. and they're like, we will pull these out when we need them for something. That's where you saw that double mm -hmm. RX 570 mining card come from. You know, that's those conversations are what taught me that. Um, and so... I would say that's something you could do, which I suspect they actually will do some. Like, what I think they'll probably do is overproduce Navi 24, 23, and 22 to a certain extent, put them against a shelf, and then rebrand them as something when they need more availability. But it's still going to be sold at a price you probably didn't want. And demand is so high now and so consistently bought up. I mean, you see article after article of AMD buying up capacity and Intel and NVIDIA at TSMC, Samsung, Global Foundries, back and forth. They're just always buying things out years in advance, like three nanometer we're talking about, because they just, they'll know they'll need it. Yeah. Like, this is something Tim brought up on Hardware Unboxed. He's like, I just don't get why they couldn't just keep making 580s then. That's what they should have done instead of these cards. And I go... Global Foundry's capacity is bought up till 2024. Everyone talks about TSMC. They're the bell of the ball. But Global Foundries is in high demand. AMD can't just go to Global Foundries and make 580s, actually. Other people have bought up that capacity already. At the end of the day, what we're saying is, yeah, I think there's just going to be... I think companies will learn some lessons, and I think they'll make less mistakes. Like, I think there'll be less often that you see them <laughs> reduce production during any event, because that's nonsense. But at the same time, I think Carbon Cry does have a point going back. This turned yeah. into quite a huge discussion from him, but <laughs> it was a good one, I think, about how it's not as simple to predict and solve these problems as a lot of gamers are making it out. No, I mean, we've covered everything, whether it's trying to produce old cards they can't capacities bought up or why don't they just produce this one card instead of that one why do they strip out these features they it takes years to design a die this was their only option what you're looking at as much as the 6500 xt sucks is it is actually the best they can do and yeah. it just sucks to realize that 
Um, but let me move on then to story number four. Radeon Super Resolution to deliver up to a 70% performance improvement for most games. Now, this was something actually announced at CES that we just haven't had the time to get to. But uh, let me quote here from Notebook Check. AMD has showcased Radeon Super Resolution on a dedicated website for the technology. Functionally, RSR is the same as Fidelity FX Super Resolution, which AMD demoed in June of 2021 at Computex 2021. In fact, FSR and RSR are so similar that AMD advertised the latter as being powered by the former. According to the company, RSR should improve in-game performance by 70% and thousands of games. A claim it makes in the video embedded below, which I guess there will be a link in the description, everybody. Apparently, AMD's code of performance improvement applies to gaming in 4K versus gaming in 4K with RSR. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, basically, AMD, you might argue, solved the, partially solved, yeah. the FSR support issue which is that you can just force it in the drivers in most games now and it should provide the same benefit now the only thing you don't know is if it's not directly programmed into the pipeline by the devs i wonder if that can mess with like ui stuff a little or something i don't know but that is i mean yeah i i will say um i think i'm already seeing hardware and box tested in the 3080 gigabyte review and it's like showing some pretty astounding competition actually or not comp again i know it's not the same as dlss but it kind of negates the importance yeah. of dlss like have you tried fsr or rsr in any game yet dan R i mean i can't try rsr yet it's not out yet right okay but i'm really keen because i have an nvidia i've only nvidia graphics cards right now i'm keen to see you try those yeah i mean i'm definitely gonna try rsr once the driver's out i'm really curious to see how well it works as far as FSR goes, there's not really any games that support it at this point that, for, we play. that I play, yeah. I don't I don't know that Halo does. I, does it? I don't know. I don't know. think so. I mean, I'll, 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 I, I should check to make sure, but... No, it doesn't have FSR. Halo Infinite doesn't have FSR. We play Deep Rock Galactic. That doesn't have DLSS or FSR. So, yeah, I mean, that would be something that you'd want to try in Deep Rock Galactic too, because that game's not exactly hard to run, but you now have a 4K 144Hz monitor that 70% mm -hmm. boost should make you easily run 4K 144 now with your 6700 XT, I think. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Um, but I, I I don't know. I, the only thing I really have to say about this is, and I don't have much to say because I have no reason to believe it won't work like they say it does. And I want to see, you know, third-party reviews from Hardware Unbox and Gamers Nexus to have a full opinion. It, it is, it's annoying that it isn't being put in more games directly. And, and console games. Like, that's blowing my mind. Like, for example, Far Cry 6 on PC has it, but doesn't on console. Yeah. To my it's knowledge. Weird. It's odd. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean, hopefully RSR will ameliorate some of those issues with adoption that I think FSR at least promised at first. But... You know, we'll see how it performs. Hopefully there's not some weird unforeseen consequences like, you know, a bunch of artifacting or something like that because that's the biggest thing I would guess could happen. And, I, and again, I guess, I'm guessing in most games there won't be anything like that, but you never know with some. I mean, there's a reason yeah. AMD wants you to directly put it into the game. Today's video is brought to you by cdkoffer.com. Whether you're looking to get good deals on PlayStation, Microsoft Office Professional, or both Windows 10 and Windows 11 operating systems, cdkoffer.com has you covered. CDKey is a long-term sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead, and that's because they have been consistently providing me and Moore's Law's Dead's fans with a service that I think PC gaming just needs. 
reasonable operating system and Microsoft Word prices. We all have to use these products and we don't need to overpay for them if you use cdkeyoffer.com. And you know what? I know I will be using these products later this year for a new Raptor Lake or Zen 4 system most likely. And I will do so knowing that, well, they're all legitimate keys and they are going to be delivered to me quickly and promptly when I buy them. Don't waste any more money than you need to this year. Use the link in the description or on screen to go to cdkeyoffer.com. And when you're there, whatever you decide to buy, make sure you use one of these offer codes. Broken Silicon gets you 30% off all Windows software, and Dyeshrink gets you 3% off anything else on the website. And this really does help the channel. It helps you save money. Use these offer codes. Use the link. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today. All right, let us move on then to story number five. Intel Raptor Lake leaked by Moore's Law is Dead to be launching in quarter three of this year and at the very least competitive with Zen 4. Over the past couple weeks, Moore's Law is Dead has dug into quite a few minor details regarding Raptor Lake Zen 4 and various upcoming Intel and AMD architectures. The summary is this. Raptor Lake is planned to launch by late quarter three, and it's clear Intel is trying to launch it about a month before Zen 4 comes out. Furthermore, Raptor Lake seems poised to bring 5 to 15% higher single threading than Alder Lake and 30 to 45% better multi-threading than Alder Lake. Interestingly, at the same time, Zen 4 is projected to bring a 30 to 40% higher both single threading and multi threading over Zen 3, which has lower single threading than Alder Lake. So, in other words, Raptor Lake and Zen 4 should launch at similar times with similar performance levels, although AMD should surely win in efficiency. Oh, and Meteor Lake has been has had a lot of cocky quotes behind it, according to Moore's Law's dead sources that he's talked to. They plan to leapfrog AMD with Meteor Lake. So in other words, I would say the question isn't, can Zen 4 beat Raptor Lake? The question is, can Zen 4 beat Raptor Lake and Meteor Lake? Oh, oh, and there's also a lot of bullshit Zen 4 leaks recently. People spreading BS about these products should consider we already publicly know the die config of Zen 4 and Zen 4C based on pictures AMD's shown at CES. Yeah, bunch of dunces. Yeah, so, because there's been I a lot of bullshit me... Zen 4 leaks, and I'm like, we, we know what the dies look like. AMD's shown Genoa. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was like some weird leak that was getting some popularity that about. Was it four C uh, Zen four C cores? They didn't being say on. which one it was. It said some client version of Zen has sixteen cores. This is from WCCF Tech, and half of them are like passive cores that aren't used half of the time to save on heat and whatever. And it's like, well, for what client? Because AMD's a key to AMD strategy is sharing their dies between consumer <laughs> and server. Yeah. So unless it's using Zen 4 or Zen 4C, and there could be other ones, like I've heard of other Zen 3 variants that I don't think have been officially announced yet to my knowledge. Like, like what is it for and what big server contract? Because that sounds like something that's oddly at odds with Zen 4C, unless you're yeah. saying it's Zen 4C. But we already know what those dies kind of look like, and they don't look like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, that's that part of the conversation. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not even sure what to say about this i mean i think that's something not enough people have pointed out like what intel probably means by meteor like leapfrogging zen 4 it's because well from what i'm reading here it looks like 
Zen 4 will probably have slightly better single thread performance than Raptor Lake. Uh, and within the same ballpark uh, uh, as uh, multi-threading for Raptor Lake and Zen 4, I think either, based on that projection, either could be a little ahead or a little behind the other. So I think it's almost a foregone conclusion if Meteor Lake keeps up with the cliff that they're increasing with uh, their new lines of CPUs finally, I think it's bound to leapfrog AMD by maybe, like single threading, maybe 20% over Zen 4 or something, and maybe like I don't know, like 30% multi-threading or something. Which which a lot of people say that's like really aggressive and Meteor Lake is only for mobile. I, I'm not so sure. Yeah. You know, I think people keep forgetting Rocket Lake and Alder Lake came out in the same year. Intel's product launches are a little faster than AMD's. They seem to be more on like what... Which AMD's trying to improve on that based on what I'm told. Yeah, they seem to be more on like a 10 to 12 month schedule most of the time versus AMD who seems to be on like a... 14 to 18 month schedule. Right. So if Alder Lake launched in quarter four of 2021, then add 10 months uh, and you get to quarter three for Raptor Lake and then add 10 months and you get to summer for Meteor Lake. Yeah. And then they're like, but I thought Arrow Lake was coming out that year. I don't know. When does it launch in the summer? Maybe it'll launch in December of... Yeah, like, or it could be pushed a couple months to 2023. Four. That would be 2024 at that point, right? Yes, four. You're right. It'll be 2024. So I don't know. From the sounds of it, Meteor Lake sounds like it's a full set of lineups. I just can't confirm that yet. And I understand mm -hmm. why some people think about it like it might be, uh, it might be like a mobile only thing. I, I'm not so sure I would double down on that yet. They're showing off mobile first, but that makes sense why they would do that next to Raptor. Like it uses. The Intel 5 or Intel 4 node. And so it's like, yeah, Raptor Lake's on 10 nanometers still. They're going to want to move to laptop yeah. first with Meteor Lake, especially if Raptor Lake is competitive with Zen 4, which it should be overall in performance. Um, I know, I guess another thing I would say about all of this stuff we're talking about, which really the big news is that Raptor Lake really does seem to be like something that could launch even before Zen 4. And Zen 4, frankly, sounds like something that might launch in like. September, like so, this mm -hmm. is sounding really exciting. Is that I just don't think AMD is going to get away with any price increases on CPUs for years. Yeah, Zen three might have been their their last chance to. If, that was their milking gen, yeah. if you will. If, yeah, if, if Raptor Lake launches before Zen four, then they yeah they can't increase prices. <laughs> right, because. Already, it looks a little ridiculous, but you can argue eh, you don't need, but you don't need DDR5 for Alder Lake. But still, there's that perception. There's the newer platform. There's the fact that Zen 4. Actually, I don't know how much easier it is to buy. I'm sure. It, I mean, Zen 3. I'm sure Zen 3 is easier to get a hold of than Alder Lake to a certain extent. But I see Alder Lake in stock at least around me for below MSRP. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think AMD gets away with it because of the mind share, the fact that it does have some advantages over Alder Lake still to this day. Really, Zen 3 is competitive with Alder Lake at the right price. But I don't think, yeah, I, I, I think that I have to wonder if the Zen 4 16 core is going to be $700 because I'm pretty sure the Raptor Lake 24 core is going to be 650 at most. Then I don't think they can charge that much more unless they're Want, starting to look in, in that territory like I think Intel was a while back where it's like these CPUs are worse and more expensive. That doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, and all of this is to say, depending on how like the 5800X3D is priced, I could understand why someone would upgrade from a, I don't know, 3700X, 2700X to that if you don't yeah. need more than eight cores. That's a huge boost over, <laughs> I mean, you have a 2700X. You would be looking at something like almost double the IPC, <laughs> you know, of your 2700X. But anyone else like me, I think waiting for Raptor Lake in Zen 4 is going to be worth the wait. Yeah. This is going to be a huge boost in performance over previous gens, and it's going to not be able to be priced completely stupidly. Yeah. Um, all right, then let us move on. Kerry no Sugata writes in, in an alternative reality where Intel's big cores were as power and space efficient as Zen, do you think Intel would still have gone down the big little route? I'd say they probably would have, but only for mobile processors. Um, my answer is eventually yes, because as far as I can tell, AMD is going to do that within a few years anyways. I just think that the nature of their, some would say, and I might agree, bloated architectures that have been stapled on and Frankensteined and upgraded for a decade straight, they had to go to Big Little. <laughs> They're just wasting <laughs> so much space. Because I think, I don't remember what it was, I swear like a Zen 3 dot uh, core takes up like half the space of a Golden Cove core or something mm -hmm. absurd, you know? So, yeah, I, I I just think Intel had to do this sooner. Yeah, and Intel, you know, they are, have almost the reverse design philosophy of AMD where they have these two core architectures. It makes sense that they would unify earlier. Yeah. Uh, Brett Summers writes in, Hey, Tom and Dan. I know that you, Tom, have mentioned a Zen 2 or 3, that Zen 2 and 3 are incredibly cheap for AMD to pop out because they're so small and they have efficient cores and they make high margins on them. But I was wondering, what is Alder Lake like for Intel? I'm assuming it's more expensive to produce. Is it because of the node, the cores themselves, the iGPU? Do you know if Intel is accepting less margins on these CPUs due to AMD's dominance in the CPU space and selling them for less if the above is true? Thanks as always. P.S. I level myself up from 10 gigahertz pleb core to a 20 gigahertz graphing god on your Patreon because I want you guys to thrive. Well, thank you. Yeah, we th we <laughs> definitely thank you for the support. Um, god, this year I really hope we can hire on a couple more people uh, to make, w w without dwelling on it, but I think that yeah. could allow us to have even more content, especially for the patrons and have it more consistent. Um, but to answer your actual question, I actually looked this up before we started recording out of curiosity once I saw your reader mail, Brett. And uh, Alder Lake's combined die size for the i9-12900K is pretty close to the 5950X. Like the 5950X is two 80 millimeter squared chiplets and I think like what, like a 100 millimeter squared. So it's up to like 260. I think the Alder Lake is like 215, 216 millimeter squared. Mm -hmm. So uh, 10 nanometer, which is what it is, isn't yielding badly now. I'm hearing it's yielding fine. So I actually would argue they probably cost about the same to make. Um, and because AMD has to package multiple chiplets together and ship them around more. So I don't think Intel is making much less money. It might even cost less to make than the AMD one. You know, so. Yeah, spe I, especially, like you said, depending on how far and how much they need to ship things around because. Intel's more locally or more concentrated in America, right? Which yeah. is probably an advantage right now. Well, also, it's their own node. So yeah. I, it's hard to even discuss what it really, what the real cost is to them. I, I would argue Intel can easily afford to sell it for less than Zen 3, actually. 
Yeah, there's probably just the... They couldn't I, I guess, before when yields were bad, but now they can. Yeah, there's just also the fact, I guess, that Intel was floundering on 10 nanometer for four years, but that doesn't go into the price of the CPU itself. Yeah, yeah, the problem for production costs really comes to the things they can't make or make enough of. Like the, their golden sample Xeons that they were trying to show competing, frankly, even with Zen 1 Epic, like AMD can just pump these suckers <laughs> out and they cost less to make because they can even make enough of them. Like, basically, at a certain point, it almost felt like Intel was comparing only golden samples to the top Epic processor that AMD can just make millions of. So, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I think that's what you got to think about. You know, once their yields are good, monolithic is actually kind of cheaper. So, yeah. I, I wouldn't think that Intel's making no money on these. Is it better or worse? Profit margins, it's hard to say because I don't know how expensive their 10 nanometer node is and they're not paying someone else. It's their own node. But I don't think Intel's like losing a bunch of money at all. I think they can actually easily afford the pricing they put these at. Anyways, though, let us move on to the final story here. Story number six, AMD AM5 to be a long-lived platform. Backwards compatibility with AM4 coolers confirmed. Uh, in a roundtable interview, AMD CEO Dr. Lisa Su confirmed that AMD has plans to keep the AM5 platform as long-lived, at least as it sounds like, as AM4. Quoting Lisa Su, Well, we've been extremely pleased with how AM4 has evolved. We said we would keep that socket for a long time, and we have. We continue to believe that it has been good for the community, and frankly, it's been good for us as well. As we bring things along, it is time to do a socket transition for the new I.O. and the new technology, but I think strategy-wise, it should be similar. I don't have an exact number of years, but I would say that you should expect that AM5 will be a long-lived platform as AM4 has been. I think we're expecting AM4 to stay in the market for quite some years still, too. It'll sort of be an overlapping type of thing. And yeah, they confirm cooler compatibility later in the discussion as well. So I'm not sure what to say about in terms of if I place bets on if it lasts longer or not, but I would say for sure Zen 4, for sure Zen 5, probably Zen 6. Now, does it last yeah. from 2017 to 2022 with a new product launch, the 5800X3D? I don't know. You we'll know. see. But it, AM4 was supported for, I guess, depending on five how you consider years. it. Yeah, five. It, that was their platform for five years. So, yeah. you know, that probably means we'll get at least four years out of it if it's we're saying a comparable amount of time so i think three at least hopefully four product launches i suspect it will be a little less long-lived than am4 uh especially with how much things are evolving who knows because keep keep in mind what that means so so am5 launches in the second half of 2022 this year so add five years 2027 i don't know what type of 3D stacking we're going to be true. dealing with by then. Meteor, like I already hear, could be crazier than people think from that tech. So uh, what AMD will be doing, you know, I, I just assume four years is what I would target if I was AMD. Maybe one less, like, yeah, like a Zen 4, a Zen 5, and then maybe a Zen 6. But there's probably going to be a Zen 5 Plus, so I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of stop there and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, if you want, it has DDR5, so the longest you can make it so people don't need to get a new motherboard for their new RAM is nice, but uh, I, I think they think they maybe kept this around a little too long, and I kind of agree with them. Well, yeah, they're, once again, product launches got a little confusing there at the end with AM4. <laughs> yeah, so as far as cooler compatibility, I guess I just assumed it would be. 
I just kind yeah. of assume these companies always find a way to make your cooler at least mostly compatible with the previous socket. I mean, what? How long have Intel coolers been compatible? My God. As long as I've been making piece, I mean, building PCs. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. As long as you've been building PCs. So I don't. Know, do you have any uh, anything else to add to this? Uh no. Okay, so moving on then, QH Freddy writes in, is asymmetric CCXs even possible with the current and upcoming Zen 4 Infinity Fabric architectures? Off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure every Ryzen design has had uh, one, even an even number of CCXs, or B, the same number of cores on each CCX. That alone seems to suggest to me that designs with either different types of cores on one CCX or different types of cores on different CCXs, big, little, within, or between CCXs, should not be something that exists with the current Infinity Fabric setup. I think that's pretty obviously true. And I've been told, by the way, those rumors, if anyone remembers, of the 5 plus 5, uh, Zen 3D, that was something they considered doing. Mm. A 5 plus 5, but they've ultimately decided it was kind of pointless. <laughs> you know, so even that weird lopsided one, they had to have the same amount of cores in each one. You know, they didn't go with like 8 plus 6 or 6 plus 8, you know. So yeah. I think right now that's pretty obvious. But again, I would assume that's something that changes with Zen 5, but I don't know that they can do it with Zen 4. And, and, and honestly, QH Freddy, that is one of the reasons I keep saying I don't think AMD should do 8 Zen 4 plus, 8 plus 16 Zen 4C with Zen 4 on consumer. I think they should just do 8 plus 8, for mo or, or should I say 2 times 8 Zen 4 CCDs, and then have one kind of Threadripper WX model on AM5 that's just two 16-core CCDs, because that just avoids a mountain of issues, right? Mm -hmm. And I, think that, I actually think it's a more interesting product as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean... I, I just would hesitate against saying anything after Zen 4 will have the same constraints. Let us move on then to the wrap up here. Uh, let's see, write that down. All right. So as always, these are the stories that uh, didn't make it as main stories. So actually, this one here is pretty interesting. Have you seen this, Dan? Asus is working on a DDR4 to DDR5 adapter card. It goes into the DIMM and allows you to use your old DDR4 and older like. Yeah, it's, I'm curious what the ultimate point is. I mean, I guess if you have DDR4, you can stave off buying DDR5 for a few months. That's that's about it, uh, but I don't know. The, and I had a source the, tell me about this before I knew about it too. And he's like, no, it really is gonna be a real thing that they're gonna try to ship in decent numbers. I just wonder how much this is going to cost and if it's like because I think the cost dictates how useful this product is truly like if it's a hundred dollars or something that's probably a dumb product right and it's like what's the performance hit if it's 10% yeah I can see taking a 10% performance hit Alder Lake's already really strong and then just hoofing it out for a year until DDR5 gets cheaper and there's a huge upgrade in RAM mm -hmm. you know but uh, one thing I would say, Dan, is I've heard that DDR5 is going to have a lot of uh, shortages over the next quarter. Mm -hmm. So I think Asus is making this because they know they made too many DDR5 motherboards. Eh? Yeah, probably. You know, and and that's something I've been directly told is they're like, oh, no, we should have made more DDR4 motherboards. They made more DDR5 last minute, a lot of these uh, motherboard manufacturers, because they're like, well, everyone's paying more money for everything, so let's go completely high end. And they didn't make enough DDR5. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what I'm told the situation is. Um, you already brought up this article here from Kyle Bennett, not 
Yeah, uh, not, not not my random per, uh, permutations of names for no apparent reason. Uh, GPU MSRP is not meaningless. I don't have much to say about this. I also covered it and touched on it in my 6500 XT video that just came out that MSRP means something. It is literally a calculation a company does where they try to figure out what it can be sold for realistically. It is a real calculation they do that they try to hit. And if you don't have an MSRP, that really does increase pricing on these cards. Mm -hmm. Like, and especially long-term, maybe not in the short-term much, but in the long-term, it does. So I, I think that's an important article for people to read. Uh, moving forward. All right, so Sony was going to end a PS4 production apparently in 2021, but now they're producing a few more. Tick Diggler writes in on this. He goes, it's been a difficult few years, and despite hardships, I just feel like we have to move forward because we can't go back to where we were. I can't go back. You can't go back. Why is Sony trying to go back by making more PS4s longer than usual? They're extending the PS4 to compensate for a shortage, but who would want to buy a base PS4 over a Series S? Well, a lot of people, actually, it turns <laughs> out. Uh, I wouldn't, but a lot of people would. Uh, how did we get to the point where Microsoft kills off the Xbox One before Mr. We Believe in Generations does? <laughs> I love your insight because this is so fucking baffling to me that I have to assume there's something I'm not understanding. Well, I think there are. Thanks for writing in, Tijiko. Two things. If you actually read the article, they're making it's like, like a million. A million. Right? And they usually sell like 20 million, 10 to 20 million consoles a year. So an extra million isn't ultimately much. And any games being targeted for the PS5 are still being targeted for the PS5. Like an extra million isn't gonna make a difference to that. Furthermore, why would Xbox One be killed off first? Because it's sold like shit. They can't yeah, sell them. They couldn't sell the Xbox One X at the same price as a PS4 Pro. They, that's why, because, because Xbox has great backwards compatibility and it's a major feature. They don't need the Xbox One anymore. Yeah, I mean, and the PS5 has its backwards compatibility is per is at least to the PS4 is good, pretty good. Yeah, but you know, I I, I think there's they just calculate that there's an extra small amount of demand that the PS4 can satiate. It is an exceedingly small number of people. I feel like that this matters for because the PS5 does kind of make the ps4 completely irrelevant unless the ps4 was 150 bucks yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah because i don't true. know why you would get a ps4 slim when the ps5 disc list is unless you need the display i guess that's in 500 but still it's like dude we're, we're talking about something like eight to ten times stronger or depending on what metric you look at than a ps4 well yeah than a ps4 it, let me think at least yeah and you know <laughs> I know it costs more, but double the cost is worth that difference, I feel. Yeah. You know, but another thing I would add to this story is consider this probably isn't for the U.S. This is probably for like Middle Eastern countries, India. That's true. I mean, the PS2 sold in certain countries like through the PS3 oh, generation. Yeah, almost I, think, the PS4. I think to the end of the PS3 generation, they're still selling PS2s in South America and the Middle East. Like, I think the last FIFA release on... Wasn't the last FIFA release on PS2 after the PS4 came out? I think so. That sounds right. So, or around there. So, yeah. I, and, and another reason Sony would do this, too, is... And, and this is suggested by Bloomberg, which we have our problems with Bloomberg sometimes, but... Uh, 
I think it makes sense that this is to make some of their suppliers happy. Like, I think they've been using the same bleep when you turn on the console for like three generations. You know, what happens if there's a snag shipping dies from TSMC, but then they can make more or, or like like some component like the SSD. Let's say the SSD for the PS5 is delayed in a shipment, but you have all these bleep, you know, bleepers if you will, and you have all these USB, you know, all these different things that actually are maybe shared, and they're like, well, we don't want to waste this. We need to satiate demand. So let's just make an extra 1 million PS4s for the components that are shared between these consoles. Mm -hmm. you know, And it's to make th some of those suppliers happy. But again, I think the big takeaway is it's just a million. It's probably not for the US and Europe. This won't affect games targeting the PS5 only. It's not ultimately a very big story to me. No. And I think the Xbox One being discontinued first, Xbox has better backwards compatibility than PlayStation, and it's selling worse. The Xbox One, I should say, specifically is what I mean. So, yeah, cancel it first. <laughs> Anyways, moving on to another thing in the wrap-up here. Intel is building a small city in Ohio, Dan. Now, I think you read up on this. Just, yeah, I, what's Intel doing? Well, I, I don't think that, I don't think it's a massive, massive story unless you're considering going to school because I... I so there's a small city, I mean, small town near, it actually might be a suburb of uh, Columbus that they're t looking to target a uh, $120 billion fab uh, near, and they're looking to build it to target college students, I believe, or recent college graduates. So, you know, I don't know if you're considering going to computer school for computer hardware engineering, uh, going to school near an Intel fab might be useful. <laughs> right, and there's a lot of those people that they probably feel is an untapped market in Ohio that's cheaper to pay them because it's cheaper to live there. And Ohio's a hub. It's really easy to ship things in and out yeah. of there. That, that was funny to me is I saw some people in the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, which again, you get access to if you support us on Patreon, who were discussing this fab. And some people were like, why the hell would you do it in Ohio? And I'm like, why the hell would you put it anywhere? Ohio's there's, just as good as anywhere else. There's smart people everywhere. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, there's as much as you see people talking about people moving to cities like, I don't know, Austin or Nashville. This is really just two different tiers of booming cities, actually. Like Austin, I've heard, is as expensive as L.A. now. So you have a lot of people moving in there. But you also have a lot of people there going, I wanted to live in a cheaper to live in city. They'll move to Ohio from Austin to work at this Intel fab if they're raising a family. That's what a lot of people are probably going to do is move from Austin to Ohio to work here to yeah. have keep a lot more of their income home instead of spending twice as 10 times as much on a house. Yeah. And, and it's like I, I know there's these assumptions that the well-known hubs are the most important thing always. But there are these smaller hubs that unless you're in the industry, like you don't really hear mm -hmm. like. Like for me, like the biomedical industry and research, everything is generally speaking considered to be focused in like the Northeast or uh, California. Mm -hmm. But Ohio has is really, really important for actually one uh, type of thing that they're they excel at like them. And I think a university in India excel at like making uh, research antibodies. Yeah. Well, and another, I think, good example is Rivian, that electric car company. We grew up in Bloomington, Illinois. That's where their plant is. Yeah. And that's where Mitsubishi had a plant. And that, that and that's actually next to Peoria, Illinois, where I lived in the first years of Morse Lawsted's life, where Caterpillar does a ton of their manufacturing. And like so does, I believe, Komatsu and other, and other companies that I worked with there. Like 
guys, there's a, a whole hub in central Illinois, not for computers, but for all this auto manufacturing that people may, uh, auto and construction manufacturing that people may forget about. There are these hubs, like you say, in places that a lot of people don't realize, and there's no reason not to put them in a central part of the United States. There's just no reason not to, it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. That's really my takeaway of this is, my takeaway is I'm surprised people think it, it would be weird. Like, not everything has to be in the same place, guys. Um, all right, so another story here, which I don't know if we've even, I touched on this at the end of my 30, 80, 12 gigabyte leak, uh, like shenanigans video. The 3050 with GA106, you could have argued maybe this should have been a main story, but I just want to point this out. Um, it, it seems pretty legitimate that the first set of 3050s launch will use GA106, which again, the full die is 3,840 CUDA cores, and that they're going to be cut down to 2560, a 40% reduction in die mm -hmm. on a die that isn't big. So probably doesn't ever need to be disabled more than 20% if you ask me. Like, and this is the exact same config, 2560 CUDA cores. And I looked it up, same ROP, same everything. Yeah. As the 3050 Ti laptop edition. And I think there's a bit of a disconnect here because I think some people are like, oh, this is because they needed the bigger die or no, this is like, if they needed the bigger die, they would give it 3,000 CUDA cores or maybe 3,300 and 6 gigabytes of RAM. And then it would smoke the 6,500 XT by like 50%, which is what I wish they would have done, to be honest. Um, this is them, I think, not having GA107 dies. This is the smaller one I've mentioned that's been used in laptops right now. Ready for coolers, for use as a desktop, desktop card. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're literally cutting down 3060s so they can pretend they're launching something next to... Which is, if you think about it, not good. I would rather they just sell you the 3060 at a reasonable price than, well, who knows? They're probably still going to sell it for $400, no, they're, they're, you know, so. Their competitors are the most important thing to them. And they countering their segmentation is, I guess, all that matters. But, yeah, I, you have to imagine this is just throwing money away, kind of. But, but again... We talked about it earlier in this episode. I think I agree with what someone said in the Discord. It's obvious NVIDIA's doesn't care about their segmentation, doesn't care if it's not the most optimized die for making money. They mm -hmm. just want to make AMD look bad at every launch. Mm -hmm. And, all right, just anyone who, you know, <laughs> just keep in mind when you buy that 3050 at near launch, if you get one, it could have been a 3060 for the, about the same price. But NVIDIA would rather be an asshole to AMD. Another thing here in the wrap-up, AMD's upcoming X670 chipset could just be dual B650 chipsets. So I don't have, I actually did reach out to a couple of sources on this one, and I couldn't get basically any verification <laughs> on that. But it is interesting, right? Already you're seeing almost no ITX of the top motherboard, and if what this means is B650 is about as much I.O. as X570, right? Is Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it has PCIe 5.0 and DDR5, but then they double it and you have not Threadripper I.O., but way more than it would have otherwise. I think that's a smart system. And I know that HX, and I know that I just can't verify the source. And a couple of my sources say I wouldn't double down on it. I just thought this okay. was worth bringing up because it's interesting. 
Yeah, it's worth mentioning. And it is an AMD's MO because they literally use the same I.O. die for X570 that they use in Zen 3 and Zen 2. So they have a history of like trying to f- make one thing used for everything. Um, 14 gigabyte per second SSD shown off with PCIe Gen 5, Dan. I mean, the one thing I'll say is let's hope uh, software <laughs> eventually catches up to the uh, speed and actually other pieces of hardware catch up with the speed that newer SSDs can offer. Yeah, because, I mean, you're going to get to something that's overall going to be about... Again, it depends, because theoretically the PS5 SSD can like do cert, move certain assets way yeah. faster than even their reported theoretical numbers. Well, I should say, than their most reported numbers of 9 gigabytes a second. They've reported the other theoretical numbers. Um, this gets you something that, on average, will be twice as fast as the PS5's SSD. The problem is there's no motherboard you can put it in right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is an M.2 drive. But it is interesting to see on the horizon what we have coming maybe for a Zen 4 motherboard. Um, more evidence. What's this here? More evidence Lovelace's on TSMC 5 nanometer. I- I'm not going to dwell on this. Just thought mm-hmm. I'd throw it in. Uh, we have a demonstration on a podcast for the i9-12900HK, the current top laptop CPU from Intel. Um, and yeah, it uh, smokes AMD's 5900HX. And I, and I think it's like, great. Well, they're about to launch Rembrandt. So what I would say, though, is even if you add 30% performance to this 5900HX, which I think they have a 5980HX, there might be something a little better than this we could compare it to. But still, it can't be more than 5% better. I think you just see it, you know. Intel may use more energy in the top-end laptops, but they they have the crown back in laptop. Yeah, they yeah, pretty undeniably they do. They will, you know. If I add fifty percent to this, I think it will be close in a lot of benchmarks actually. But I think overall Intel's just got it. Uh, let me see. I'm going to skip this one here. Probably not worth. Xbox One could discontinued. We already covered that. RTX 3058 gigabyte already selling out in Japan for $400. Yep, not going to cover that. Already <laughs> mentioned it. So yeah, let us get to the final reader mails. Savage SMC writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. I'm a new Patreon member. Love your content. Keep up the great work. Thanks for supporting us, Savage. A savagely good decision you made, if I may say so myself. He goes, It seems like we are within one to two years of hitting the point where something in the size or power range of a mid-tier laptop will be able to support 4K 120Hz gaming. When we hit this threshold, there seems to be a law of diminishing returns on improvements to absolute performance, at least what you can notice, and the space will move to power density for economics of scale. How do you envision each of the big vendors' roadmaps in this context? AMD, Intel, NVIDIA, Apple. Are they all anticipating this and positioning things correctly? Are any of them making missteps now that they're going to, that could affect their future markets if you have a crystal ball? So I think this really touches on two points. Number one, yeah, I think that we could get mobile RDNA 3 cards that outperform a 6900 XT. And if laptops still cost the same or less than a equivalent desktop at any point in the future well that's a thing i'm yeah. just upgrading to a laptop then and saying bye-bye desktop this is stupid now i can bring it with me anywhere like now i'll, just, I'll get a two thousand dollar laptop and just bring it with me yeah and I, and I do think there are just certain things in a lot of ways i think it's art design in video games right now that really makes a game look even today, a game looked better or worse than a different game where there's a certain point where it's like the number of pixels you're putting on screen starts to matter less and less over time. Mm-hmm. And 
I think uh, I, I don't know what the companies are going to do about that. I think there is going to be a point where people just stop caring mm-hmm. to some extent. I, I don't think we're there. You already see a lot of people say that they don't need more than 1080p. Not most people. But mm-hmm. I think you have a third to half of the people say they don't care about 1440p. Once 4K is the standard, is what I think you're getting at. I think legitimately half of people at least will not care about anything higher. And that's where they'll almost like, you could almost argue you'd rather have it use less energy. Like it's a benefit to have the weaker card. Yeah, because at a certain point, more power isn't going to get you more, that much more More gaming. visual performance. Yeah. So I don't know it, what they're really going to do. I think like he says, they do need to focus on, you know, efficiency at a certain point to sell to more people because... Eventually, you know, I don't need a card that can do 16K 240 hertz. Right. But I do think, he says one to two years. I think we're actually about three years away, maybe four, because RDNA 3 is going to maybe, hopefully, at least around double RDNA 2 performance. And Lovelace, I'm expecting 80% better than Ampere. So what do you get if you get that? Oh, there's still games that are hard to run. And Asus, I believe, has announced a 4K 240Hz mini-LED or something insane. I know Samsung did, I believe. So we're still not there, you know, to the 4K 240. I think that's where we're like, yeah, people don't care. 4K 240 HDR. And keep in mind, by the time we get to RDNA 3, we'll be at Raptor Lake, Zen 4, and then Meteor Lake and Arrow Lake and Zen 5. We'll be able to drive 240Hz. Yeah. We're going to be able to by the time RDNA 4 is out. And so I think it's RDNA 4. Four, that is going to be the one where we hit it. And if you have RDNA 4 easily doing 4K 240, but then you have mobile RDNA 4 easily doing 4K 120 in a decent form factor like a Razer 15-inch, yeah, I think most people won't care and might <laughs> go with a laptop. As for who is making the missteps, I mean, right now it's NVIDIA for sure. I mean, they unless they're multi-die by RDNA 4, I think they're in big trouble. Yeah. You know, and they can brute force it with 5 nanometer, I think, pretty easily. But I think, yeah, I think if they're not competing with RDNA 4 and Elasti from Intel with a multi-die, it's a big issue. Okay, Desist writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan. With AMD's Xilinx acquisition on the cusp of regulatory approval... Do you have any information or suspicions regarding AMD's plans for Xilinx aside from their IP team? I feel like this is something we get every other episode. Someone asks us about Xilinx. Uh, Besides their IP team, it's their TSMC hard design team. Mm -hmm. It's their team that is supposedly world-class about quickly and efficiently translating architectures to TSMC's nodes. And let's also not forget that they have all types of stuff like FPGAs and server IP. Which, I just, I would say don't understate the amount of IP that would benefit AMD. Yeah, and I, I'm not, I'm just not sure how much of the, how much all of it will even necessarily translate to consumers because FPGAs I don't think are going to like start popping up in graphics cards or something as far as my understanding of the I don't know, they could. I, I, to an extent, I think it they will. Like they just in, want in SOCs, though. Yeah, some of the motivations for buying this might just be more IP too. Yeah, and it's just again like we can't understate this. It's not a few different pieces of IP. Everything their company does can probably benefit AMD. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, all right. I mean, that is the final reader mails. Um, I mean, we, we did, uh, we attempted to, we assume this will be a video episode, assuming nothing goes wrong with the editing or this version of the recording. And it's because Dan is here with us in Nashville because the people... <laughs> Well, you came to see Tom Segura. We will be going to see him with some friends that weren't the original friends because their other friends got COVID and the other original people got COVID. So we just swapped out the non-COVID people. Yep. <laughs> and that is just the world we're living in. But hopefully it gets better. Um, I don't know. Any last words, Dan? I don't think so. Well, then I'll just say, please remember to support us on Patreon. We can't do this without our patrons. Please tell your friends about us. Uh, subscribe to Broken Silicon on your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to 10 podcast apps and have them all auto-download us and give us a review with 10 different accounts. It all helps us, you know. In other words, what I'm really saying is it's not just the YouTube channel. It's not just the Patreon. There's so many ways you can help us whether you want to support us on Patreon or not. Give us a super thanks on YouTube. You know, yeah. That's a thing, too. Um, and, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening and watching, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans... Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Anthony Graffa, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn, Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akwari, Frederick Lau, Lynn Yee, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Jaskowiak, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Goodingham, Canticle Philosophy, Lee Booking Kilo, Fatboy Disro, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Attic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazo, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Rentaro, 
Matt Sukata, John Jameson, Sam Benzel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Techrance, Eric Jansen, Jonathan, Patrick Grow, 3DS Boy, 08, Dominique Koch, Stefan, Original Ross, Sandy, Garrido, Saunderson, Joaquin Hagen, Teak Autumn, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Andrew S.C., Jits, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Ackers, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Elena, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dan Galanowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Perry, Joseph Kerman, Brett Summers, Blake, Denovan Russell, Noah Nicoella, Zlicky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoes Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Fellow, Brucha, Jeremy So, Michelle Pell, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Floria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Tyler Lindney, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valcom Alev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, DNA Tech, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, My Sharona, Y. Truy, Rowan, William W. Draper, Errath, Spamtum G. Spamtum, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amiable Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Raken, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Needham Pork, Jimmy N.G., Maz, Matthew Lazier, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV, Couteau, Aaron John, Wissink, Mohammed, John DeBont, Pulse Media, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Dewar, Stephen Chang, Georgie Kosdaninov, PC Beast 22, uh, Reginald Ari Narithiel, Ivan, Charles Russell, Hal Buma, Akarsh Adietha, The Grid, Andrew S. Christrich, and thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> <laughs>